um, some of the early church fathers, like especially St. Jerome, he was um, nicknamed the patron saint of misogyny. Nah. He wrote all really terrible things about women. This was, this was centuries before the Malleus Maleficarum, but he referred to women as the devil's gateway uh, because of the vagina. It's like, ooh, you have a hole that men don't have, and that's unnatural. The devil gets in there. <laughs> what? I know, it's just, it's so bizarre. <laughs> Please faith in God, Caleb. We'll speak no more on that, brother. Why? He had disappeared, not one week past, yet you and mother utter not his name. He's gone, Caleb. Tell me. Tell thee what? Is he an L? Caleb. Mother will not stop her prayer. And if I died, if I died this day... What is this? I ought to even in my heart. My sins are not pardoned. Sins are not pardoned. Sins are not pardoned. Hi, I'm Candy, the final girl. What's that like to live deliciously? And I'm Erica Wright. I am that very witch. When I sleep, my spirit slips away from my body and dances naked with the devil. That's how I signed his book. That's so great. That's such a great moment in the film. The film, of course, being on the house of screams tonight uh, is the 2015 movie The Witch. I'd like to start out by saying I think this is really from A24, who puts out um, a lot of really great films. This kind of paved the way for stuff like Hereditary and Midsummer. It's kind of in that same vein, um, you know, and they they came a couple years later. But I, I really kind of associate when I watch The Witch, I think of like Midsummer, Hereditary and vice versa. So it really paved the way for this kind of like atmospheric, subtle drama. Yeah, I, I agree with that. When I was uh, watching The Witch again this afternoon, I was reminded of Hereditary a little bit. And um, There's a lot of similarities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, you know, um, Ari Aster is just like my favorite, you know, thing oh. in horror right now um, because because of Midsummer, which um, I guess I've been mispronouncing and I feel like really silly about because, like, I was watching Elia Ross' uh, History of Horror and they're all like Midsommar, even Ari Aster. And I was like, yeah. okay, I wasn't saying Midsommar, so now I feel dumb. Even though it's spelled <laughs> that way, I thought it was like just. <laughs> yeah, just a spelling of Midsummer, right? <laughs> yeah, like, okay, well, that's just how they're spelling it because, you know, of the, the region, but it, it's Midsummer. But no, uh-huh. I was incorrect. Midsommar. Yeah, <laughs> right. Make- get the record straight on that one for right us, you know, back because yeah even on uh behind the screams uh award show yeah it's me saying midsummer well bears okay but i didn't know i learned <laughs> um 
our film before this was The Love Witch, and it got us talking, you know, about witchcraft. And I we didn't really go into a lot of the history of witchcraft. And uh, I, what I love about this film is that, you know, it takes place in 1630, I believe. And this is before the Salem witch trials, not too long before, maybe 60 years or so. And um, all of the dialogue and the clothing and, and just everything was taken from actual written records and things like that. So that's where they lost a lot of audience. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you read reviews, like I was reading through reviews on IMDb today, and they're either tens or they're ones out of the stars. <laughs> Either people got it or they didn't. Ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. It drives me crazy when people are like that. But, <sighs> but I think it was your mainstream horror people, and, I, and by reading the reviews, it clearly was. And of course, I mean, not I'm not trying to be that person, but they were men, and they're like, this was boring. <laughs> um, there was nothing scary about it. But, uh, you know, conversely, though, uh, Stephen King heavily endorsed this film. Mm-hmm. So props to him. But the people who got it really, really got it. And I was talking um, with Phil from um, the Horror Pro- uh, Project podcast, who will be coming on our show. And he was talking about how much he loved it, but people kept walking out of the theater saying it was shit. They got bored. Oh, I man. never bored. <laughs> I never was either. And uh, when it came out on DVD, I made my mom watch it with me and oh, yeah. she really liked it. <laughs> and she's not a big horror person, but she really liked this story and was like really afraid for the main character. Yeah. My mom is a big horror person. She just doesn't, I don't know. She's kind of changed. Like I think if you know, she was who she was probably about 20 years ago, she would really dig it. Now it's just like, she doesn't have the time. Um, she kind of, she's kind of gone mainstream on me and, you know, wants to watch like it. Or, you know, yeah. eight chapter one and two, like, but they kind of lost me where they didn't have this like subtle atmospheric thing. And they had that every five minutes. Are you paying attention? Are you scared? Here's a little jump scare. And yeah. like, this movie doesn't do that. And I think this was the first that kind of brought the wave of stuff like Ari Aster and that we don't need to jump scare. We can create an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I love the topic. Yeah, same here. And uh, I like the uh, what could be interpreted as a feminist message. Absolutely. And um, that's something I really wanted to talk about because we did the love witch and it kind of we decided to do the witch. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, and I didn't bring it up in the love witch episode. It was in my notes. But the witch itself represents uh, two particularly males and this is all through time in the history of witchcraft um, or perceived witchcraft. It is an empowered, independent woman. And it, that is a very frightening thing to men. It was especially back then because women were, you know, subservient to their husbands and the men in the family, you know. And uh, so if you were like an unmarried or you didn't have any children and, you know, you were the, the village healer, yeah, of course you were a witch. Somebody, you you piss somebody off and um you're a witch because you're you're different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You like live on the outskirts of the village with a bunch of cats. You know that's also a recipe for trouble. (laughs) Yeah, and in most of these cases, they were the ones that you know knew all the herbs to to bring down a fever, to heal people, Mm -hmm. and and 
you know, brew the teas and, and make, you know, you know, back in, you know, like your mortar and pestle, you know, make these little, you know, concoctions that would, you know, like with fever for you that would bring down a fever or, you know, just random ailments. So, you know, you had men going to these, these healer women because mm-hmm. they couldn't get it up. And there was, you know, <laughs> herbal ways to do that or women who couldn't conceive or women who didn't want to conceive or, yeah. you know, young women who wanted a certain man to fall in love with them. So they wouldn't have to deal with this arranged marriage. So this man would propose, you know, love potions were a very big deal or love, uh, you know, concoctions, you know, usually, and all this stuff was herbal, but you know, this is how this, uh, this woman was making her living and being independent. Yeah. And I, I've read a number of, um, scholarly articles and, and books, um, now I'll have to mention the, the university course I took on that topic in a bit, but basically evidence that when witch trials really took off, um, women were in uh, working in fields that were threatening uh, basically men who wanted to take over those positions. So like forcing out, you know, midwives from delivering babies so male doctors could come in and take over that job and often not very well, I might right. add. <laughs> um, and even things like uh, uh, for apparently for a while, um, making beer was kind of a, a woman's skill set. So there were a lot of women who were brewers, but then they were, uh, some of them were suspected of being witches. So there was like just a lot of persecution of uh, like women who were skilled in, in some area and men you know, felt threatened by that. Yeah. By or just, you know, having dependent. women having skills outside of, you know, the typical, exactly. you know, child rearing and, uh, you know, the cooking and, and, you know, the, the general things. And, and this was a time when not many people were educated um, those that were educated were men. And in the movie, when Thomason, you want to sign, you know, will you sign the book? Yes, but I can't write my name. Right. I will guide your hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. You know, I see Thomason as sort of a tragic character because, uh-huh. you know, the whole time, I mean, she's just a normal girl. And uh-huh. these terrible things are happening and it's being laid at her feet that it's her fault. And she's just kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, because it was common in those times, you know, she being the oldest female, because there were, they would usually have a lot of children, you know, mm-hmm. no birth control, whatever. And it was against the church as well. So, you know, that was the woman's job was to have all the children. So having so many children, the oldest girl would usually do the child rearing. Uh-huh. So she, you know, you see her taking care of, you know, the baby and the twins and, you know, Caleb even, you know, she was very motherly towards him, but that was normal. And, you know, so she felt like grief over these losses and Mm -hmm. but it's being laid at her feet. And the fact that the father lets her sort of take the blame, the mother's very wrathful for that, for the cup that was, Uh uh, that he sold. And he kind of let her take that blame. And then she strikes back at him and then he's like, well, you're going to have to stand trial for being a witch when we go back down. Like, (laughs) <laughs> you did. You did this, and she says that, and you know, in in that dialect uh, or, or the dialogue of the time, like you you did that, and you let me take the blame. Uh-huh. You made you let her do this to me, and you know, how can you call yourself holy? How can you you know? 
It was just a horrible, all these horrible things happened to her. So, I mean, at the end, everyone's dead. She had to end up killing her mom. I know that was rough. And it's like, you, she clearly loved her parents a lot. She loved her whole family. And yeah. And uh, I, I, well, when I watched it the first time, it, it always seemed like finally her parents are going to see the light of day and they're going to realize it's not her. And it's clearly something is wrong with the twins. And and like they just never see it. <laughs> they just they they just keep putting more and more blame on her, and it's not rational, you know, at all. Um, those those twins were so rotten. Like I don't want to wish. But you know what? Them, what but... it reminded me of was uh, some of the Salem witch trials because it was these young girls, you know, yeah. they were you know preteen, early teens that were accusing people they just didn't like and then mm-hmm. acting hysterical. And it was, you know, they were just doing it on purpose and, and having these sort of outbursts and, oh, this person made me do it. And uh, so that's what I got from it, like sort of like, you know, they're, they're children and they just don't realize that they're playing with people's lives. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're angry. They want to play a trick or a prank or I just don't like this person. And, you know, and it, it turned out a lot of them, it was – you know, found out that they were lying, but it didn't matter. People were dead then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, um, so that, that university class I had mentioned in passing. So it was called Saints, Witches, and Mad Women. Um, shout out to Dr. Carol Levin for that awesome class. It's probably my favorite um, women's studies and, and or history class that I've ever taken. And her classes are very thorough and academically rigorous Um but she went from, like, the, some of the earliest recorded female saints in early Christianity to um, the 1800s when women were put in mental institutions for anything that was considered abnormal. And it really didn't take much to get put away oh, as no. a woman back then. And then in between those two periods of women who were outside of society or had special abilities being recognizes saints and then it's like oh it's actually the devil so then you have the witch hunts and all that um so the witch hunts went on for a really long time um in in her discussion of the salem witch trials uh she mentioned that like the most powerless people in that society at the time and puritan society were female children so that you know making false accusations so-and-so's a witch or they've you know caused harm to me or to someone else whatever that's a way for those girls to feel powerful in a society that was yes. very powering. It's just one big fucking mess. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is what happens when you don't have a balance of power, mm-hmm. you know, because people are going to find it in whatever way they can. Um, especially, you know, women, <laughs> we don't respond well to being repressed. I mean, look at history. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't go well mm-hmm. you know it doesn't turn out so great so uh yeah I mean and it's just like you know I think back to you know I like to kind of like put myself in these positions and I think back to that time period you know I I would have been accused because you know I, I don't want to do things um, by the book, I wouldn't have wanted to get married so young, mm-hmm. even being raised that way. I mean, I was literally raised to be a housewife. I mean, in this day and age, I was. I was raised to cook, to clean. That's what I. That was what I did, and I helped out with all that stuff. And, you know, obviously, you know, 
I am a housewife, but I wouldn't call myself a traditional one. You know, right. um, I it, I didn't become a housewife till I chose to become one, mm-hmm. because I completely buck the system. And there's something to be said about having your independence, and for these women to have their independence like that, you know, sometimes. And and, and in the case mm-hmm. of Thomason, like, um, at the end, like, what does she have left? Mm-hmm. Well, right. What was she gonna do if she didn't sign the book? But at the same time, her laughing at the end is kind of like I'm free. That's what I thought. It was a very liberating like, moment, and you know, uh, it's a terrifying moment. But it's also like a really like I don't know, kind of just exhilarating moment. It, it is definitely, and um, yeah, like she's literally unburdened yeah <laughs> she strips off those overly modest clothes and she's and levitating up in the air yeah. and just right. free and the hair's yeah. down and wild and you know there's got to be something sort of like okay wouldst thou like to live deliciously why yes. the fuck not <laughs> yeah, yeah right it is interesting that one of the things he tempts her with is the taste of butter <laughs> yeah and the history of that is very interesting <laughs> Because, yeah, it was considered back then um, by the Catholic Church, I believe, that the taste of like eating butter was worse than impurity, worse than lying, worse than almost any horrible thing, murder. Mm-hmm. You taste the taste of butter. No. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, it, I mean, I, the Catholic not- Church has such a storied history. It does. It really does. Like. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, Another interesting thing about this movie is that it was officially endorsed by the Satanic Temple. It was. And uh, some of their spokespeople uh, wrote some very thoughtful things about the film. And they they also interpret it as like it is a story of her liberation from uh, society and role where she's oppressed and not appreciated. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just these terrible things happen to her and it's somehow all her fault. But that's, you know, I think and if you do any kind of women's history, you'll find that that's very common. Mm-hmm. Bad mm-hmm. things happen to the woman and, and it's their fault. It still happens today. It, it happened to me recently. Somebody harassed me online. I posted uh, on Facebook to kind of shame them like, this is not okay. You can't treat people like this. You can't treat women like this. And I had people, including women, coming at me saying, well, maybe you shouldn't post your face. And I'm like, what? That's like saying someone that, like, I deserved it because I showed my face and I'm not ugly or something. I'm like, that's the same thing, you know, not exactly the same thing, but it's in the same vein of saying, well, of course she got raped. Look what she was wearing. Right. never an okay time for any of that. Another thing I found ironic about some of the people who commented that kind of thing on that post that you did is that some of these same people are you know would, are probably very islamophobic and they would not like the idea of women being forced to wear um you know hijabs or other traditional coverings that only like leave a little eye opening they would say oh that's terrible you know that's you know but it's like then they shame you for showing your face on your own profile pic and see, it's only the Bedouins that let you show your eyes and that they're very, you know, right. Yeah. That's pretty like, risque because yeah, I actually know a lot of Islam history at, well, I'm just familiar with the religion. I've, I've, I've uh, been around and helped with like Ramadan and the Eid and, and I just know a lot of Islam, um, Islamic people. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, it's, but when you, you're over there, like Saudi Arabia, like the veils mm-hmm. and there's different kinds of veils and I had the thickness of them. And then, yeah. you know, stuff in like Afghanistan, it's the burqa. Uh-huh. And it's the burqa. God, I can't even imagine it. Like the veiling in Saudi Arabia, at least there's like, it's stifling you know, layers to it. But the, I only the know that is just like, my parents lived in Saudi Arabia for like three months. Um, oh, before- wow. Worn, and my mom kept all of the the clothes that she wore there. So I tried on um, the the long black robe and the veil that you could like. They kind of wanted it double thick so you couldn't see your face. Like you can kind of see out of it. But that thing is smothering. Like I can't imagine. Yeah, the Abaya, Yeah. In the heat of their climate, and it's like dang. So um, and the other funny thing is like um, my uh, my mom was strongly encouraged to wear those even though they weren't mandating it for. Um, you know, Americans necessarily, but there was still a risk that the moral police could see my mom, you know, if she had her head uncovered or maybe her ankles were showing or something and they'll like beat you with sticks. Yeah. Or they, like, they, they do this thing with red paint where mm-hmm. the paint wouldn't come off forever. Um, for oh, if yeah. they saw the, uh, the legs. Yeah. Um, from what I have read, I, mm-hmm. I've never been overseas. My uncle's from Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan's a lot more chill, but. Yeah. You know, um, in the, so it's like we have all these different places where women are oppressed and then these terrible things happen with them, um, you know, and that's just sort of the moral of the story here. We mm-hmm. can't oppress people, but women have this, this history of oppressed things and um, and we're just supposed to take it or we're, it's our fault when bad things happen. And it's and, you know, Thompson, it's all these bad things happen and it's her fault. And she's just like, what, <laughs> what? And then by the end, she's like, fuck it. I've already been accused. I've already, they've already right. got me guilty. I might as well fucking do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can understand that. I can uh, yeah, understand that. I, I could totally understand why she did that at the end. Like really there weren't, you know, there wouldn't be other options for her. Like, I don't think she could fend for herself on the farm or, you know, it, <laughs> no. Or if she managed to travel back to whatever village they came from, then she'd just be in a similarly bad position to what yeah, she left. Yeah, they probably would have married like, her off to some widower or something. You know, yeah, something it'd be something awful. Fate. At least she gets her independence at the end. Yeah, so she I, gets I, kind I, of it, power, you know. And yeah. obviously, you know, there is witchcraft. So you know, they're yeah. making the flying ointment from her baby brother. You know, I know like that part. Baptized male. I was thinking, like, yeah, I, I don't know if, like, I was wondering, like, would she, is she okay with that? Like, I'm assuming at some point she'd find out that they use baby fat to make their flying ointment, and I wonder if she would, like... But that's where like, it harkens back to Midsommar for me, yeah. because, think about Danny, uh-huh. the character in there, um, and she kind of, you know, she, she found um, a community, a mm-hmm. family there, but they did some awful shit. But it's like, what will you put up with to have your freedom, to have the love or whatever it is that you need in your Mm -hmm. life? What will you deal with? And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're in desperation, you just make it work. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I agree. Um, There's also kind of, um, you might say there's a bit of a subtle eco-feminist current in this film. Um, Like the, the Puritan family, they're representing the patriarchy they're going to conquer the land and they're going to conquer mother nature and bend her to their will and grow crops and 
succeed out there. But then the forest beyond where they're they're running their farm, it's that untamed wild place and it's where the witches live. So there's this association between untamed nature and untamed women. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I mean, if you think about witchcraft uh, from then to now, I mean, it's always been sort of a connection with nature, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, wild nature, because, you know, um, now there's like so many different types of witchcraft because there are still practicing witches, but mostly we're familiar with like Wicca and there, mm-hmm. and that's about, you know, like uh, light, love yeah. and light and, you know, yeah, don't, don't curse and uh-huh <laughs> this what you what you send out will come back threefold kind of belief exactly that, so um, it, it's like it's got a very good um association and message to it mm-hmm. you know but you know there is like malef you know what am i trying to, i don't know i must say maleficence <laughs> malevolent uh, yeah. malevolent uh you know people out there who do want to you know okay so here's a story about young candy I got interested in witchcraft when I was very young. Um, so it was, it just fascinated me, that and voodoo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so here I was reading Stephen King. My mom didn't give a fuck what I read. <laughs> so we would go to the library and I found this book on witchcraft. And I really wish I could find it again. I couldn't believe it was in a library. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was really odd. It was like one of the weirdest things that I found this book. And I just was like, I'm going to read this. I took it home and it was like spells. And like other ones, you know, you would read would have spells like, you know, do the salt and, um, you know, chant this and whatever. But this book, you know, um, for like one of the love spells, it was the, the menstrual blood from a girl on her very first period. You needed one cup of that. Um, I mean, mean, it was like like, old school shit. Like, like, you know, you needed uh, three hairs plucked from something to make these like potions and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck? How is this in the library? It was just like sort of I just sort of found it and I wish I could have found it again. But certain like songs you were supposed to play um, on string instruments while you did this. And I'm like, how do you find um, a, a girl who's just started her period and she's on her very first period ever. Like, and then how menstrual blood? Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's like a very dodgy uh, <laughs> thing. Like, just the impracticality of it is like, oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, and that's where you get your like malevolent people, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and it's not just women, it, it's, you know, there of course are men. Um, that are witches. Uh, some prefer to go by the term warlock, but they're just male witches. Um, most of the ones that I have met are just uh, Wiccan. Uh-huh. Uh, and I know personally, um, I was actually heavily involved with the Green Witch. Um, mm-hmm. My other really serious relationship in my life. Um, to the point where I was just like, you know, I have a headache and he could brew me a tea nice. and he would go to the store with all this, like just the, these herbs and get the right herbs. And you need this much skull cap and you need this catnip and you need this brewing seeds and it just get rid of my headache or, or put me to sleep. And I, I drink sleepy tea and it doesn't do shit from like celestial seasonings. I mean, this was the real shit make his own teas and, and do all these different things. So, you know, it really worked and it, and it was completely, you know, independent of whether, whether I believed it was going to work or not. 
it just worked. <laughs> now, I don't know, because I don't like to just say I, like, believe in stuff unless I have proof. But, yeah, that, that shit worked. Right. I, I think there are a lot of powerful natural and herbal remedies. Uh, I, I think a lot of people in that green witchcraft tradition are really knowledgeable about uh, oh, yeah. natural modalities and that kind of thing. So I haven't, um, yeah, so when I was growing up, I mean, the only books on witchcraft and like the bookstores or the libraries around me were all Wicca books. And then, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, I discovered this store in Omaha, which is about an hour from where I live, um, called Next Millennium. And it's one of the largest occult bookstores and gift shops in North America. Oh, and sure. like, wow. Yeah, huge, huge book uh, selection there, but they have all kinds of magical tradition books there. They have ceremonial magic, uh, Thelema, um, what, what else? Like voodoo, hoodoo, um, like just a lot of Enochian magic, like just a ton of different stuff, and uh, along with Wicca and neo-pagan authors. That would be so like, interesting. It was. Like, I know, it was kind of like the crack cocaine of retail for a while, because it's like, oh, there's all this <laughs> I like, have to learn about these other forms of magic because I, when I would sneak looks at, um, you know, like library copies of Wicca books, it didn't really resonate with me all that much. Um, and then when I around the same time I discovered that store in Omaha, there is um, I also discovered that Omaha is a hotbed of African traditional religions and uh, magical practices. So that'd be your um you know, Haitian Vodun, uh, Santeria. Uh, I think there's even a little bit of like Palo Mayombi um, that found its way to Omaha. Wow. So it's, if you know who to ask and where to look, there's like, there's an opportunity to learn uh, about some of those traditions from people who were raised in it. Um, I think part of the reason is that Omaha is a sanctuary city. And in the last, 15 years or so, there were a lot of refugees from uh, Africa and a lot of other countries. So they it's become this interesting melting pot that it definitely wasn't when I was a little kid. And same with Lincoln, too, to a lesser degree. Um, Lincoln and uh, Lancaster County, where I live, is also, I think, kind of considered a sanctuary city. Oh, no. They don't. Yeah, they're more lenient with immigration laws and there's more um, benefits for landlords who uh, rents uh, or give housing to um, refugees or people seeking asylum for whatever reason. So uh, since then, um, since those laws opened up, there have been like a lot more, um, uh, a lot of immigrants from Africa and like for a while, there's a lot of people from Sudan and um, also like, there's also a pretty robust Vietnamese community in Lincoln. So, I mean, it's, become a lot more interesting. It's like when I was a grade schooler, like I think the, the population was like 97% white. <laughs> it's like changed a lot. Sounds a lot like here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it though. I like yeah, that. You know, the, the Midwest is, it's hard to find uh, much diversity unless you're in like the really big cities. Like Chicago is two hours from where I'm at. So mm-hmm. like there, obviously there's like all these different parts of town, you know, like, you know, there's Chinese Chinatown and, you know, there's just different areas of like different diversities. And here in Indianapolis, Indianapolis is a big city. It is. Yeah. We don't have much diversity. I mean, we just, 
there's just not much going on. And as far as like, if you're interested in um, the occult or, you know, anything like that, anything new age or whatever, which I, I don't know, I was raised in a lot of that and it was passed on to me from my mother. So mm-hmm. there was a, there's a place here and it's probably the best place to go if you're here. It's called New Age People. Uh, um, they do a lot of really awesome shit there, but it's very all like white, white magic type stuff, light stuff. They don't, I, I go there, uh, I was just there recently and they just, they have the best stuff, but, uh, I found uh, an old school book on mediumship that I was very interested in. But, I mean, you don't really find anything dark magic whatsoever. They don't mm. mess with that. And, um, you know, and it's just in me, for me, it's like curiosity. And I'm, you know, um, I have my own interest in, um, you know, mediumship and uh, talking with spirits. And they don't encourage that there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I buy my protection candles and I charge them and, and you know, just my sage sticks and, and just whatever else I need there. But um, that's probably the best place to go. There are some like lower rent that were just kind of like, oh, here's some incense and some crystals. And I'm like, no, 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 I need the full experience. So if you want the full experience, you got to go to these people. But you're not going to find anything on like voodoo. You're not going to find anything on anything but like, you know, angel magic and you know mm-hmm. spirit guides and you know uh, but only good kind of, only yeah good. light a little bit fluffy maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and i understand the people there they don't they believe that because uh, we actually were really friendly with them a couple of them have died we've been going there so long um they have a couple locations but <clears throat> Um, they have a certain smell that I always associate with them. It just smells really delicious, and yeah. you feel warm when you go in there. But, it's like scents that they always use, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're just very grounded in positive energy. So, um, you know, they don't let anything negative into that space. And I'm like, it's not that I'm trying to be negative, but I have, I'm curious. You know, yeah, I want exactly. to know things. Exactly. Well, and also one thing that I found interesting just for my own research, like I've um, read several books published, uh, for instance, by the Temple of Ascending Flame, which is uh, like Luciferian and or they, they label a draconian tradition. Um, but interestingly, like it, there's this kind of scary packaging, but they really they're all about, you know, uh, respecting other people's free will. So there's not going to be any blood sacrifice of animals let alone people because that's that's not a sacrifice you're giving something that isn't yours if you do that yeah so i with their stuff like if you were to do any kind of blood ritual you have to use your own blood you're not gonna harm another living being so it's like well that's that's different from a lot of other traditions definitely different from the stereotype of like historically where they're sacrificing another living thing but what's funny is like you know the the christians come down hard on that stuff they're 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 frightened of just like the concept and the name they don't really know anything about it but i'm Mm -hmm. like man when i read the bible i read about the sacrifices like god wants sacrifices sacrifice people even like okay so why why would you judge that if that's what you think that they're doing um Maybe read your Old Testament a little bit. Yeah, and then that, yeah we'll like talk. God told the ancient, you know, Israelites to, uh, you know, go into this region and kill every living person there, including the children and the animals. It's like, dang, that's really. What do the animals do? You know, 
This is why we have the New Testament. I'm like, wow, that kind of got fucked up. I always write something better. (laughs) It's a little nicer. Um, Although, I mean, if you, with the Old Testament, it's like you really need, um, I think you really need a good uh, rabbinical interpretation or commentary on it. And like, if you're raised in Judaism, they, they tend to paint those things in a very different way for the most part, at least visited um, Jewish temples and synagogues. So they're, they're kind of like, well, you know, that shouldn't actually be taken literally. (laughs) It's like, right. right. It's like, well, I hope not. That's the beauty of the the Bible. You can just bend it and twist it and paint it different colors. Yeah. Cherry pick some things out of there. (laughs) I don't like the cherry pickers. I'm like, if you're going to follow this, then maybe you should also say like, Hey, there's also this. Cause they'll come all covered in tattoos. I'm like, uh, you're not supposed to be like in tattoos. Right. You know that you read that part, right? (laughs) Right. I know. I was thinking like the irony of like, uh, or if people are going to quote, you know, old Testament passages against homosexuality, but it's like, Hey buddy, you've got tattoos. I think you're wearing some kind of mixed fiber clothing, you know, like that. And your wife, I can see her hair. Yeah. Or, you know, you're on your third marriage. You're not supposed to do that (laughs) unless they die. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, you just pick the things that don't apply to you and you make a big deal about that. (laughs) Because that's not your issue. Wait, I can. I have a lot to say about that, but I, just, I know, yeah, I, yeah, I, I was. Uh, very, yeah, <laughs> it it made me question things as a as a child, and that's why I started looking at other things, not necessarily looking for another belief system, but just seeing what else was out there in the world, and you know, having my own experiences with the occult that I didn't know I that's what it was, mm-hmm. like, um, not necessarily like. I was doing things I wasn't supposed to. It was more just like something that happened to me. Like uh, mediumship is runs my family and only a couple of us have the precog or the mediumship. And I didn't know that that's what I was doing. It just was a natural thing that happened for me. (laughs) And people don't believe that, but I'm just like, well, if you saw and, and knew what I what I know and, and you've experienced it well, while others around me have, you would believe Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And speaking of ancient texts, I, I wanted to bring up the Melius uh, Malficarum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the hammer of the witches. <laughs> but I love that it, this was this was written by a German Catholic clergyman, mm-hmm. and it was written in 1486. And this thing was so popular that they were still using it in the 1690s with the Salem witch trials. I mean, of like the Bible had gone through several different versions and updates and changes. But the one thing that stayed the same was that the it was the female and the pronoun she, mm-hmm. you know, because women were weaker in soul and body and mind and became these evil witches. Right. Um, because they weren't as strong as men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. OK. Yeah, it's all kinds of fucked up. <laughs> it really is. Uh, and uh, just the idea of what which life I did. Because the women are the, the spirit and the mind and the body. So the devil sought them out. And, of course, they signed the contract. They became the witches. And, and what I was saying was, um, I don't know other people's experience with women and with men, if we're going to get gender specific. Um right. 
but the strong ones were always women. Women, <laughs> you couldn't get them to back down. All the women I know that I come from are strong women. My family is dominated by strong women. And if somebody was going to get somebody, it was going to be the men. Yeah. They were, they didn't, their characters and their resolve was not as strong as what I've seen in women. So I'm just like, you know, I, whereas I understand the whole nature versus nurture, like, okay, they, women are put down and raised, you know, not educated and they were going to just be, you know, wives and probably die in childbirth on their eighth kid, eighth kid or whatever, whatever. But, you know, it's still like I was raised to think and feel a certain way. But that didn't, that was, that was my nurture, but my nature (laughs) is not that. My nature was like, fuck that, no, 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 I'm not doing that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And you can't tell me that women, you know, 400, 500 years ago didn't feel the same way. We're like, hey, wait a minute. Exactly. It's like, yeah, maybe they had to go along with some things just to get along in society. But it's like, you can't convince me they were truly content with that shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you don't really ever hear any happy stories um, about women in those times because their lot in life was shit, but they, they knew it was and they just tried to find a way to mm-hmm. feel powerful or whatever, you know what? And obviously things have evolved, but not as much as they should have in all these hundreds of years. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, you know, when you mentioned the, the Malleus Maleficarum, um, I, I got to reference that Saints, which is the Mad Women course again. Um, some of the early church fathers, like especially St. Jerome, he was um, nicknamed the patron saint of misogyny. Nah. He wrote all really terrible things about women. This was, this was centuries before the Malleus Maleficarum, but he referred to women as the devil's gateway. Uh, because of the vagina, it's like, ooh, you have a hole that men don't have, and that's unnatural. The devil gets in there, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like so. Apparently, there was a period in church history where they it's thought women were comedy to me because it's like, <laughs> are, what? I know what? it's just it's so bizarre. <laughs> um, so I when you look back to ancient, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh no, that's. I, I was just also going to say, like, in the. So there, there's that kind of uh, idea among some of the early church fathers and and then just the idea of like what witches did, you know, like in the Malleus Maleficarum and other texts of that era. Like one of the odd things I read is that people were literally afraid that witches stole men's penises and kept them as pets. Yeah. <laughs> like what that sounds to me like is just men fearing powerful women mm-hmm. and that's really the subtext of any kind of witchery er- <laughs> yeah, it is. Is, is men afraid of any powerful you know and so they immediately have to be evil if they're powerful mm-hmm. or they're independent because then they're a threat to them you know and i'm like wow that's pretty fucked up and what i blame is the dark ages for all of this change in theory because when you go back to ancient times women were fertility symbols they were worshipped they were you had them in positions of power um i like uh i referenced previous to uh the recording um sappho the island of lesbos they got sick of men and they just went (laughs) off to an island in greece 
And she wrote her poetry because she was a poet. And she had all these women there. And that's where we get the term lesbian from. Yeah, because <laughs> it was assumed that they were just all having sex with each other. But they were just right. sick of men. They just wanted an, <laughs> a place to go where there was no men. And they could do what they wanted. And they could feel how they felt. And they could write about it and have experience. To, uh, yeah. That, that kind of really and it was like, Okay. Yeah, like in the in the 1970s, when you think of like radical feminism in the United States and uh, the UK and maybe part of Europe, but there was kind of a trend in the US for a while that there were these radical feminist so-called lesbian communes, but they weren't really lesbians. They were like, oh, I'm lesbian because I love women. Well, it's like, well, not in a sexual way. You're like a lesbian from the neck up. But it's yeah. like, oh, like a man. So it's like, they're just going to move to this isolated you know, community with a group of other women and just have a commune. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes that sounds wonderful because, you know, there's like these, it's kind of like this dual-sided thing with women because of what modern times have done as pit women against mm-hmm. competitive as who's prettier, who's thinner, who's, you know, got more boyfriends, who's got more stuff, who's, you know got more likes on their fucking selfies you know what i mean um and we pit women against each other that starts at a very young age so that's like junior high but there's also another one that's like a sisterhood Mm -hmm. well you know and it tends to be older women who've experienced and said fuck this shit this is stupid i'm not gonna let consumerism and um, you know, the patriarchy tell me how to feel and what to like and what to do. And it's a sisterhood. Like I fucking love women. I love spending time with women. I love female energy, but those, that competitive pettiness, like some women never grow out of it. Some women are content to stay within that because it fits in. It's easier to do. That's what we're supposed to do is be competitive. Mm-hmm. And as I'm reading that pink thing, I'm at the very end. I, yeah, it, I wanted, it talks I wanted, about snagging a man, grabbing a man, trapping yes. a man, and it's like <laughs> makes it sound it's, so horrible. Those are nasty words. It's up. It really is just awful. Like, you know, as if men don't pursue women relentlessly, and it's like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> There's just a lot wrong hey, with but that. See, that's 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 all the propaganda that's yeah. given to us, and now, I mean. Things are better. We had different things going on, like Me Too and Speak Up and, and just a lot of movements where, you know, you're getting some wonderful things accomplished and we're making strides. And, you know, and, and girls are still being trained in this kind of, it, where, you know, sort of our, our mothers grew up with the pink thing, definitely. Mm-hmm. Whereas we had it less and it's just getting a little bit less, but it's still there, like the competitiveness uh, over boys and outfits and clothes and just really stupid shit and i'm just Mm -hmm. like what i like is just sisterhood and you know i've been lucky enough to have that with you know some some females in my life you know unfortunately i am i don't don't have that contact with them anymore but um you know where it was it's just great to sit around and just be female and and Mm -hmm. just feel power from that and you know it's like just because you want to be your own woman doesn't make you a lesbian Right. Because I get accused of that because I preferred the company of females. And it's like, why wait, why am I a lesbian? Some people have to sexualize everything, and it's ridiculous. Well, and that's also a problem, you know, that we have to sexualize things. It's like not everything is sexual. Somebody who was pretty much a pure asexual 
whatever. Um, I mean, I found my one person, so I'm a demisexual now. But like, for, so being asexual gives you a little bit more perspective and not sexualizing things. You know, for me, like, you know, I joke about my crushes when we talk about the show, but none of it's sexual. Like the minute it would come down to like, they're like, oh, you want to kiss and make out? I'm like, no. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I think he's hot or I think, you know, she's beautiful, but I don't want any sexual things going on. It's just a, a crush of like they're very pretty and I want to hang out with them or he's handsome and I bet it'd be fun to talk to him. And right, it's not right. sexualized. Right. Yeah, I get that, too. Like, I'm I'm also on the asexuality spectrum and it's um, yeah, I'm in that boat, too, or it's like the actual idea of hooking up with someone is not pleasing to me like i can appreciate that they are a beautiful physically attractive person exactly and it um, doesn't matter gender or you know non binary yeah. or anything like that doesn't matter to me it just mm-hmm. they're attractive yeah it's like i i can yeah see someone of you know any gender and appreciate that they're, they're physically attractive or they have a great body or something it doesn't mean i want to have sex with them it's just yeah, like, yeah, i never even thing. think about just, that like when, uh-huh. I, when somebody brings up like you know, um, like what well, one of my joke with uh, we joked last night, you know, about Joe Bob, and they're like, oh, I better watch out, you know, shut right off of them. I'm like, no, I love him so much, but not like that. That's gross. Yeah. That ruins everything. No, I just want to hang out with him or something. Yeah, I mean, I was that guy. He's like, he's so neat. Like, I, I did get to meet him a few years ago. Um, that he he's like, he's very like kind of soft spoken in person. I was a little surprised. Yeah, he definitely does a persona. He's such an intelligent guy, but he does the persona for the show. It's kind of outspoken and little masculinity focused, but that's all character. Yeah, exactly. So it was interesting to see, like, you know, talking with him. Dude, he's so fucking smart. Right? (laughs) It is is cool when you see uh, actors or any other public figure, just when they're being themselves versus when they're in character or doing whatever persona they're really known for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's amazing, but I, I, I don't know. I just sometimes wish people could step into that, that viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, now that we're getting recognition, um, that asexual is a thing and, you know, dear God, I went through, like I said, conversion therapy for it and it didn't fix me. And conversion therapy doesn't work. No. You're not sexually attracted to people. You're just not. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just weird. Like, so we still have, like, these remnants of all of this, the misogyny. We still have the remnants. That's why we still need people to speak up to, you know, and the Me Too movement. Because a lot of women are silenced. And that's what pissed me off about my post is people were silencing me. And I, that's why I made my my further post. I said, and when you silence me, you silence all women that you know, your mothers, uh-huh. your daughters, your sisters, anybody, any female that you know, you just shut their mouth mm-hmm. about anything. And they're like, oh, well, if so-and-so got abused, why didn't they say something? Well, have you ever been a battered woman? Yes. The cops are not on your side. You know, nobody's on your side. Why would you speak up? Right. So that's why we we're trying to do that. Yeah. Now. When I worked as a domestic violence and sexual assault uh, victim advocate, um, I, so in so many cases, like even in really bad 
you know, in ter- bad in terms of there's visible injury, domestic assault cases, like often those guys are only um, in jail for like maybe three days, sometimes just overnight. And it's like, that's, that's not a big window of time. You know, you're trying to do safety planning with the victim. It's like uh, trying to, or find shelter space or something. And there's usually like, not any. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to like, find, especially if you have children um, or they want to separate you from the children. And it's like, why yeah, are you taking me from my kids? when I just need us all to be safe and be together, you know, um, I, I, and we will talk about more of this and I spit on your grave, which is mm. our next, but, um, you know, I'm a victim of, of sexual assault. I am a victim of, um, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I grew up in domestic violence. So it's just like, you know, I was just stuck with being a victim before I even knew, what it was but then when I tried to get help mm-hmm. um the cops was just make him leave for 24 hours or you know I got yeah. protective orders and he found his way around him he did he was in jail for a day you know I'm like he's a menace he's dangerous he's gonna kill me and like then you'll be concerned when I'm dead maybe yeah the the system um it, it doesn't work very well for people in in abusive situations and I know, like, I, I worked in that position for a bit over 10 years, maybe even 13 years. I don't remember offhand, but, um, like, the, the local police, you know, and uh, had tried to do all these reforms to be more sensitive uh, and, like, do better investigation around these issues. And even then, even if the police were doing better, especially if it came to sexual assault, the odds of a conviction in a sexual assault case were almost no. Um, so that's why when I see guys or people who are so-called like men's rights activists saying, oh, all that woman <laughs> is accuse you of rape. And then, you know, like you could go to prison for decades and it's like you can't prove you're innocent. It's like in, in actuality, the odds of getting convicted are so small, so like it's yeah. evidence. It, to get- especially like given my situation. You know, you almost get laughed at when you say your husband raped you. They're like, that's your husband. It's that right. doesn't make it not rape. It, it's extremely, yeah, it's really hard to prosecute merit, marital rape uh, cases. And, um, you know, even even if on the books it's illegal and it I think in some it seems like in some states it's still not there's still not a law in the books against it. But but yeah, uh, also, I mean, it, so, it varies. It definitely yeah, varies. <laughs> hate to bring up Donald Trump because I'm like, I'm just so glad to not see his face in the news every day. But, I know it's nice. It's refreshing. You know, like, <laughs> his first wife had accused him of anally raping her. Um, and he didn't, you would think like if someone didn't do that, they would say, I never did that. I'm innocent of that. Whatever. He said, you can't rape your wife. <laughs> it's like, Oh, so you totally did it. You were supposed, you know, and that's basically how I was treated. Mm-hmm. And so what I did at that time, because I was a different person, I was young and mm-hmm. I was, I had been in a cycle of abuse since I was a child. Um, I backed down mm-hmm. because nothing was happening and it was just shame upon myself. Uh, we will get more into that subject on my yeah. your group, but that's a little bit of why, when we've talked about it before, I feel the way that I feel, but I've kind of changed my mind a little bit and I'll tell you why next episode. Um, mm-hmm. we'll go back to witchcraft. Yes, uh, yeah. 
you know, um, I there was just something so fascinating about witchcraft itself. And when you watch this film, I, I don't understand how anybody could say they were bored. I really mm-hmm. don't. There is nothing boring about it. it. It's not like there's a moment where you're, there's even a lull. It just really moves along mm-hmm. and, and in such a way that you don't even realize it's like been an hour and a half, you know? Yeah. I don't understand I how people never, can. I was never bored by it. People couldn't. Oh, no. It was atmosphere building. An atmosphere. Very effective. Yeah. I just felt like there was this mounting sense of dread throughout the film and yeah, you know, just figuring out like, Oh, what horrible thing is going to happen next? I, it's a slow burn movie, but yeah, I was never bored by it. It just had so much subtlety to it. And I really appreciate that when it's done right, because, you know, as much as I love my trashy eighties films or sometimes love them, um, I, I clearly didn't love Chud, but you know, um, <laughs> I'm same here. But there there are some like Night of the Demons, whatever. Like I just have a lot of fun with those. But some th- this stuff now, this new wave of horror that we're getting, um, is just you know, it's subtle but it's just perfect. You got mood, you got atmosphere, and you're tense and you're mm-hmm. involved in the characters, so we have character development so that we care, we see growth, we see change. And then we get a payoff. And a lot of people said the payoff wasn't worth it either. And they're like, oh, it was kind of interesting. And then I get, and the payoff at the end was kind of stupid. And I was like, I what? thought it was really important. I thought it was very important to the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought the ending was great. And uh, it, it to me, it, it was like, for the most part, a happy ending. <laughs> You know, and it's weird to to say that, but yeah, it kind of was. Sort of like Midsommar, because uh, I wouldn't say it was a happy ending, but it kind of was because Danny was finally loved and accepted somewhere in her life, and she didn't have anywhere else. And I remember making that argument when we had that, when we did that film, which was early in season two, and everybody was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, no, seriously, just hear me out. I mean... It was kind of like that, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of ending where it's but, like, OK, so this isn't like the best situation, but you have to see like that. It kind of is a little bit for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the, uh, the director also said that it was kind of a breakup movie. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's a breakup movie. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> but it's like you feel good, though. It's like that guy got what he deserved. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't make that guy. Like, yeah, right. He was just like a really shitty boyfriend. You know, and, and, and the thing about him being a shitty boyfriend is mm-hmm. is to me worse in the subtleties. Like I said, the subtleties are just everything. So and being the shitty boyfriend that just ignores her calls, he takes them and he pity stays with her. And then yeah. like, I'm going to go to this party. You don't have to go. I know you don't feel well. Your family died or something. But and like, I really don't want you to go, basically, is what he's saying. And then she's like, no, I'm going to go. And he's like, fuck. Yeah. And fuck, right? I guess she's going because now she knows shit. I couldn't keep the secret. You know, mm-hmm. it leaked out. And they're all like, God damn it. You know, I'm like, that's worse to me. Why don't you just fuck yeah. and just say, I fuck you, bitch. I don't want to be with you. Right. It would have been kinder if he had just done a neat, clean breakup with her whenever he felt too much for him instead of 
yeah. being pseudo supportive but not really and then complaining about her behind her back to his friends it was just to me that is infinitely worse than right. being and some asshole so who many- broke up with her because she would have had to go on and she would have learned and you know painful experiences there's still experiences that you learn from and you grow but he didn't yeah. let her have that mm-hmm. and so i didn't feel one fucking bit sorry for him yeah i didn't either <laughs> And he was just like just a shitty character. I know, like we're off topic of the movie. We're supposed to be discussing. But you know what? I really think this movie is is very similar in theme. It, it to does the have witch. similarities. Yeah. They remind yeah. me of each other. The shitty movie in Midsummer. Um, he was also like basically stealing his friend's thesis. Um, yeah, I mean, there was I mean, no that, redeeming qualities. Yeah, that was shitty. And then he's like, you know, sleeping with the redhead. Um, and it's just like. It's just a lot of stuff he does makes him completely unsympathetic, I think. And in my view, I don't know if uh, some people thought that he had something positive going for him, but I didn't notice it. <laughs> Maybe that's just my point of view, but I didn't have any anything like where there's quality because I knew everything where he was that I knew and that made it 10 times worse for me like you fake ass bitch oh my god (laughs) but so you know actually we can kind of relate that back to the witch in that in that theme it's not a boyfriend it's her father Mm -hmm. her father is the one that defends her the most but he's also letting her take the blame for a bunch of shit and then finally when he he's at the his his you know wit's end okay well it is all your fault you are a witch. You know, right. Like, but you you were the one that was the closest on her team. She was depending on that. And then when she gets angry and yells back at him, well, she's definitely a witch now. And, but he did yeah. her wrong. He did her wrong. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, he he had lied about things like the fact that he, he uh, sold his wife's silver cup, you know, for instance. But. He he, uh, he gets his son to lie about stuff too. That they went into the woods to look for apple trees, or that they thought they saw apple trees, or something. There's nothing like that there. Uh, so it's like he, he's yeah. like supposed to. He's like pretending he's like this righteous person, and he's berating his family if they aren't, um, you know, repentant of their sins or living in a godly way. But he's lying to his family repeatedly. And convincing some of them to lie to cover up his lies. So it's like, there's definitely a, a layer of hypocrisy with him that's just like, oof. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the reason that, that they were banished from the, the plantation was he felt he was more righteous and religious than the rest of them. They were not godly <laughs> enough. And then, you know, one of the, the biggest tenets in, in, in the religion is don't fucking lie. Yeah, and uh, then once they they go and they have they start a new farm, all he does is lie and coach others to lie, you know. And it's like, okay, you fucking right. Right. So yeah, it is one of those things. Like if you um, if you were raised in any kind of like toxic Christian environment, you probably relate to this movie. And I'm not like against Christianity, but I, I was in some very messed up churches as a young person. And like, that's a whole other story, but 
uh, one of the the churches I was in. Um, interestingly, the pastor of that he was very anti horror film, and he had this paranoid idea that you could get possessed if you watched The Exorcist or if you watched other films that had a demonic or occult theme. And he's like, I would cross the street to avoid a theater that played The Exorcist. You know, like, okay, you're like a little hysterical here, buddy. Like, considering the, especially considering The Exorcist, uh, you know, was written by a very devout Catholic. Catholic. Like, yeah. Um, and see, I, I had, I have a background in Catholicism and what's kind of cool about the, the Catholics is that they do acknowledge that they have some pretty cool shit in there. Like if you're interested in that, like you can find that kind of shit, like, because, you know, they believe that people can be possessed. I mean, now, I mean, and you see it in the exorcist, you know, the modern way of thinking, um, because, you know, the, the father Harris was both a psychologist mm -hmm. and a priest. Yeah. So he was trying to use psychology when it was like finally like, man, this really is a demon. We we gotta do something. And right. the Catholic Church will do right. some shit about it. Now the Baptist right. church that I went to was a little bit more like uh I would wear a black nail polish when I was a little girl, you know, like nine years old, like I said, I was like listening to Motley Crue and whatever. And they my grandma would like call my mom and tell her about how I was going to hell with the black, you know, because the black means the devil and you know, check her for the mark. And I was like, oh my I lord. Heard some no. of that same crap too. Like some of the some of the churches and I, I also went to a private Christian school during the middle of the satanic panic when there was this belief that there were teachers and day school workers and you know other people in respectable society were ritually abusing children and these satanic rituals. <laughs> it's just like and like as a kid I, I believed it because like Par you know, uh, grown-ups I respected told me that was going on. So, I mean, I was scared shitless that Satanists were going to, uh, you know, abduct me and abuse me in some kind of black mask or something. <laughs> like, I was legit paranoid. Um, but, yeah, but the other, um, that pastor who was anti-exorcist, he was cheating on his wife, like, for years and left her... Uh, left his wife when she was hooked up to dialysis and oh couldn't my move. Gosh. He packed his bags up. So she, she like had some kind of progressive kidney failure and she had to be hooked up to dialysis. I don't know if it's every night or like, uh, but whatever her schedule was. So he waited until she was hooked up to her machine and couldn't get out of bed, packed up his bags and told her while she was still connected to the dialysis machine that he was leaving her for his like uh, best friend's widow, the best friend had died. So he had a connection with his wife for who knows how long, but um, yeah. Uh, and then he went to Minneapolis, I think. <laughs> it's like where he moved and like married his best friend's widow after getting divorced from his wife. And then she died like a year or two later. I, I don't know if it was, she was already in really bad health, but I think some of the grief and stress of him doing that to her may have played a part, but just super so. shit. Yeah. The mind is it's a like, powerful thing. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy there. And then like, it wasn't just him with that church. I mean, the head elder and the head uh, deaconess were cheating uh, like with each other on their spouses too like they were both married to other people i mean it was just a clusterfuck of embarrassment and shame and <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> drama 
Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, I, I don't want to be part of that kind of thing. Um, I have had a very good experience with the Benedictine monks uh, in Schuyler, Nebraska. Like I, um, I try to attend their monthly um, oblate meetings when I can. And um, sometimes I go on retreats there. Like I, I did a week ago and it was great, but I, I think they, they're very grounded in their faith and they're not, they, they don't give that that bullshitty vibe that I grew up with in the evangelical fundamentalist Protestant world. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's so I'm like, I'm not being you know, automatically negative against Christians. Just I've seen some shit. <laughs> no, people think that I am negative against Christians and I'm not. Um, I have I, I point out things sometimes I choose not to be a part of any organized religion. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of what I am and how I am. Um, I believe, uh, you know, there. I think there are good things in all religions and some of the universal good things yeah. um, I really like. And, you know, like if you were to take the teachings of Jesus and apply it to my life, you'd be like, well, that's what she does. And, the, and you know, because I think mm-hmm. those are good things. But it, I don't do it because... I subscribe to Christianity. I do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. As a writer, you know, um, I wrote an entire book uh, that was based in voodoo. So I did a research voodoo, and it was just really neat uh, to learn about some other stuff that's out there. And, and that was some pretty fucking interesting shit. Um, and so we were actually supposed to take a trip to New Orleans last mm-hmm. year because they wanted to uh, check out some sites. And I, I, I have a thing about visiting cemeteries everywhere I go. I like I used to do rubbings of uh, old graves. I like to. I, um, like to do that I no too, longer yeah. do that, but I just like to hang out in cemeteries, and I have my own reasons for that. But uh, it's it's my place to chill as is cemeteries, and not just because like I'm spooky chick or whatever. But um, I, it's mm, it's hard to explain without going into it. But yeah, well, I just, yeah, I, I love cemeteries too, and there are a couple historic ones in the city where I live, but I just find them very peaceful. Um. You know, part of it is I like looking at the history because they, um, the stones there go back to the mid 1800s. It's just neat seeing graveyard art from that perspective. But such a calm, peaceful place. Yeah, we have Crown Hill here, and uh, God, who was it? Uh, I can't think of the poet's name. Um, Little Orphan Annie. Uh, yeah, Lakes I, I know. Hughes? Whatever. But we have, yeah, it, it's it's a beautiful place. People go there for picnics. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, but it has like a, a, it's like our most historic graveyard. It's a beautiful place to just go and be. But one of my favorite places uh, is considered the most haunted place in Indiana. Because basically you have Indianapolis, you have the suburbs, a couple <laughs> little small cities, and then it's all farms. Ah. Or, or, like, state forests or whatever because we're like really flat we have trees and corn that's basically it so if you're outside of indy and you're outside of the little suburbs you're in the country so Mm -hmm. but there's a place in morgan monroe uh state forest not too far probably about 30 minute drive from where i live um and step cemetery is there you can look it up and that's the most haunted place in indiana i love to go there but i had some really i had a really weird experience there when I was 17, that kept me from going there. It, it was not a place of peace. It's this yeah. deserted cemetery in the middle of the forest. Um, people go there and light candles and stuff for, like, the supposed spirit that's there. But that's not what happened to me. Um, 
when I was there, but it, uh, it was just, uh, um, I'm very in touch with energy, you know, mm-hmm. there was some bad energy there and it knocked me over. Actually, I was mm-hmm. trying oh, to wow. walk through the trees and I just something, I walked into something solid, but it was, there was nothing there. But anyway, now I'm getting some weird stuff. I'm going to talk about that privately. So I want to talk about some weird stuff at some point though. I, I have, uh, I have some interesting, interesting stuff to share. Um, but I don't know if people want to hear about that because they're like, this bitch is crazy. Um, they probably already think that. I don't yeah. really care. I'm used to that word. <laughs> but actually, speaking of crazy, I want to kind of tie all this into craziness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you know uh, Frances Farmer? I know that name. and I'm, Oh, was she the one who was given a lobotomy? Yes. My, okay. She ended up living out the rest of her life here. And was um, a radio host. Ah, okay. She actually ended up having life. She wrote a book. This is when I um, had uh, my. Let's just call it my breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was 18, I didn't know what was happening. I got agoraphobic. I got really sick. And I, my mom had this book, Will There Really Be a Morning by Francis Farmer. Not probably the best reading at that time for me, but in a way, it kind of helped me. And because she didn't want to be an actress anymore, because she did a lot of Hollywood films, her mother had her committed. They did a lobotomy on her and she explains all the treatment of archaicness. And I think we can, that kind of is in the tune of witchcraft because she wasn't doing, she was doing something different. She was doing something unexpected as a woman. So she was committed to a, a a women's place where they were just barbaric, unbelievably Mm -hmm. barbaric. And I, that's, that's my reading recommendation to you. It, will there really be a morning? Not a super long book. It will change your okay. fucking mind. Uh, but, I'm impressed that she could still function as well as she did after lobotomy. Like I think I remember seeing footage of her on some talk show after she'd had the procedure. And I think they were trying to promote the idea that lobotomies are helpful for people. But I remember watching that. At thought, the time. I thought she seemed like really spaced out and it was just very... It, it seems sad and just uncomfortable to watch. Well, I and when you not- read that book that she wrote, Will There Really Be a Morning? Um, it explains all of that and everything that she went through. And it's also not just that, but like the experience of everything that she went to up until that point. And, you know, you got to think about how they treated them with like the ice baths. You see a oh, little bit yeah. in like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest mm-hmm. um, or, you know, old school stuff like uh, Suddenly Last Summer um you know, the snake pit, if you want to go classic films. Um, but it was all that during that time period, um, you know, they would do stuff. Uh, they would take insulin and put them into insulin shock because they thought that would cure the mind. That, that just kills you. But, um, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So she she talks about all of it because later on she kind of regained mm-hmm. or, or was able to normalize and, and just live out her life here in Indianapolis, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. but I, Nirvana wrote a song. That's where most people know the name is Francis Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle because she was from Seattle. <laughs> nice. And yeah. that's on the in utero album. But, uh, Francis Farmer, actually, I, cause I'm being such a classic film buff, I already knew who she was. And, uh, mm-hmm. that, that book changed my life. It's fucking amazing. But I think that's modern. What we, you know, what we could attribute to sort of this situation. Mm-hmm. Women behaving badly as they say mm-hmm. women behaving badly and i think there are some feminist books that you know use that theme women behaving badly or yes. <laughs> the story of you know yeah 
you know, the, the, the strong woman or whatever, um, things like that. But, you know, just ways to control them, ways to, to victimize them and make them these horrible things mm-hmm. um, when they're just different. They're just not going with the flow. They want to do something different. And instead, they're persecuted mm-hmm. and attacked and, and, and horrible things, horrible things. Can you imagine anything worse than the lobotomy? And they did it with an ice pick. Literally, scientists. I think in a session nine there. <laughs> I, I love that movie too, but yeah, like lobotomies are horrific. And yeah, I, I can't imagine having that done. And see, I having, think that's our uh, that's our modern witch trial shit. I, yeah, I feel like it it is, and I'm glad that. I mean, things are more humane with uh, you know the field of mental health. It, it is a lot well, harder, it, but it's not, it's not perfect by any means, but I mean, at least you, you can't just like say, Oh, my wife should be committed because she's being inconvenient for me or she's too emotional or something. Like, like at least there are laws protecting people from being involuntarily committed. Like, well, you depends to- on your psychiatrist. My first marriage um, was really disastrous as you know, and I, I just had a couple things that had happened in it, but um my uh, my husband at the time would go into the psychiatrist, and he was a quack. He put me on way too much meds um, to get me to shut up. And then he would, my husband would go in there and say she's she's being this. She's he'd make up stories, and the doctor would prescribe me more medication. And then it was somehow my fault for being doped up all the time. But it was easier for him to gaslight and manipulate me. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on the psychiatrist, really. That's I mean. I'm in a good position now, and they have finally, um, at 42, I've been dealing with this since I was 15 years old, um, got me in the correct medications, the correct therapies, and things mm-hmm. like that. So it is better. Um, but you got to fight. Yeah, I, I think sometimes like doctors of any stripe will um, push patients into whatever therapy is trendy at the time. Like when they put sometimes me on Prozac. No, yeah, that was the big pill of the 90s, and it made yeah. my anxiety so bad. I'm like, I'm not depressed. How many times I have to tell you? I'm not depressed. Stop telling me right. I'm depressed. Right. And it's, um, you know, and, and then I, I've also read that, you know, some doctors get payouts from pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical prescribed medications or at least, at least give samples. That was exactly the case with Prozac. So it's like, well, then there's a, a motivation to not be objective with like really looking at the person's symptoms. It's like, oh, well, you know, here's this medication. Well, then they're getting a kickback for prescribing it or. Yes. So, I mean, that that's like a really after so you thing really to have do. to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. You really do. Once I divorced my first husband and I just really grasped my life and took control of it because it was out of control the entire time before that. Mm-hmm. And I, I doing that and then being able to advocate for myself mental health wise, um, I'm doing so much better. <laughs> I have some, it doesn't mean I don't get tested, but like sure, right sure. now um, it's a little anxious for me. I'm having anxiety dreams, but my PTSD is so bad. Like you can't wake me up, but you can't touch me when I'm asleep or I scream. Oh, I have no. no control over that. I'm asleep. But, um, you know, but I I can, it's livable and people who know me, um, they know how I am and they know that, um, I do remarkably well considering, but you know, it's just, it was a battle to get the right medication. But now Mm -hmm. that I'm on it, I I feel like a human being and I can say that for the first time in my life, but it can be barbaric. My cousin still gets uh, electric shock and that's supposed to be for the 
those who are medication resistant, but she's still on all the medication. There are some doctors out there, they'll just do whatever to get you to shut the fuck up and leave them alone. Oh I'm my not God. kidding. Um, she, yeah, so she saw- has uh, early dementia from it. She's only 10 years older than me. Yeah. I didn't know that was a side effect from electroshock. That's terrifying. Well, you're only supposed to have it like six times ever in your life. She has oh, it twice. Really? She has it like, yeah, twice every two weeks. And then, oh and then when she's going through a bad time, because four times a year she checks in to the hospital, they do it every day. Oh, geez. There's nothing left. You can't There's, have a conversation with her. Yeah, oh, my gosh. I didn't know there was, like, a, supposed to be a limit, you know, with that. that that's uh, yeah, scary. Yeah, because your, body, your body's not supposed to do that. It just kind of, what it does is stimulates certain part, like parts of your brain. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's considered barbaric and archaic. Nobody uses it except for in a last-ditch medication's not working to help. But they're still giving it medication and they fry your brain, so whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had some, like, um, you know, a couple friends who did not have luck with antidepressants, so they they opted on their own to have electroshock therapy. And that's when you do it. Yeah, and one of them said it did help, but, yeah, I don't think they were having it, like, every little bit or anything. So that's uh, fascinating. Pardon me while I'm pouring some water here. All the wine I'm drinking, yeah. I need. You'd be surprised at how much of the, the old guard is still around. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we don't do lobotomies anymore. Thank God. Thank God for that. But, um, yeah, but, that was, but that was just like, <clears throat> you know, if you look back at how they treated, like, hysterical women in Victorian times, they what they did was basically <laughs> give them orgasms to calm them down. I, oh, that's funny. It's like I would maybe fake being hysterical for yeah, I'm hysterical today. I, I may get hysterical later too, so right. um, maybe give me a couple times with that. Yeah, right, right. Oh, yeah, man. you know, women hysterical, but see, it's like never, never men. It's always women, and that's really right. how this is still relating to this film. I know it, it always is. seems like we're off topic, but it always comes back. That it's always, always the women. Men. And I was also thinking in terms of like shitty, uh, you know, mental health fads, the whole repressed memory thing in the 80s and early 90s. And that like that tying in with the satanic panic and beliefs in satanic ritual abuse and people recovering memories. And it's like, yeah, the false memory syndrome. Yeah. And I mean, I had this uh, when I, I started, uh, when I first started out with the rape crisis center where I eventually became a, um, enhanced advocate and going to emergency rooms and all that. I started out in their crisis line, but there was this lady who called in every, almost every week during my shift, but she claimed that um, she had survived all these horrible satanic rituals and that they raped her and did all these awful things to her. And uh, at that point I had done enough research into that, that like, you know, like these hardcore Christian criminal profilers within the FBI had investigated these claims of satanic ritual abuse and had never found a single one that they could verify. And so I just said, I was like, but I mean, like, it's one of those tight ropes where it's like, as a victim advocate, your, your job is to believe the victim. But on the other hand, I feel like if someone is um, basically been self-deluded or brainwashed because of shitty therapy, or gaslit. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to play into that, you know, if they're, you know, they've been made to believe something that didn't happen. So I just said, yeah, okay, uh, did you be stereotypical? Okay, Karen, did you um, just suddenly 
did you always have these memories of being abused? Um, or, or did you remember them, you know, sometime in your adulthood because a therapist helped you remember maybe under hypnosis or something? She's like, yeah, I, I never remember this. It was a therapist who hypnotized me. And then I remembered this. So I'm thinking, oh shit, it's probably one of these. Yeah. I yeah. guess false memory cases. And I, the stuff that she said was so outrageous. It's, um, the, the odds of it happening are very small. So it was heartbreaking that someone's, you know, tormented by what, what are probably completely false memories that never happened to her. Um, yeah, and unfortunately what that did, that created a wave um, in mental health. And I went through uh, a very traumatic experience at the age of four. And I remember it it went on for about a year and I remember it very clearly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had I, I, I've been through my fair share of therapists because some of them just don't give a fuck or some of them tell you horrible things or make you go to conversion therapy. But um, but they were, you know, like saying, well, maybe this didn't really happen. You know, you don't really form a lot of memories at that age. And I'm just like, no, I remember in detail everything. They're right. like, and I'm thinking, I, I really fucking am crazy. I really believe that for a little bit. And I'm like, no, I remember everything. And I, I finally, my mom doesn't like to talk about that situation. And I asked my mom things. I said, mom, I remember this, 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 this happened. She said, yeah. I was like, okay, okay. Right. I just, and I found out later through um, my current therapist who I've had for a while, and she's fantastic. Um, she works with PTSD and anxiety and stuff. And you know, we've worked through the situation and she said, why I remember it so clearly is because it was traumatic. And it, what it does is it creates a kind of a tattoo in your brain because mm-hmm. the way your chemicals are reacting, it's almost like it's, there it is. Like, I'm, I'm like, I could draw the room. I could draw the situation. I felt like I was outside of my body, which gave me dissociative disorder. Um, only under extreme stress do I get it where I feel like I'm just kind of like outside of my body. Um, right. But it's weird. I don't have like dissociative identity or anything like that. But it's just like under extreme stress because of that situation. Um, it caused me when I'm in a, a really horrible situation, kind of like feel like I'm outside of me, and you dissociate. So you know, through her helping me and and working through EMDR therapy, which I can't recommend highly enough if you have post traumatic stress disorder, but um, you know, revisiting these things, um, you find that. You aren't crazy, and there are reasons. There are biological, chemical reasons for mm-hmm. all these things. Now, if it's a false memory, you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, because people can people can guide you to something mm-hmm. like that, or you can. Are there people who are just highly suggestible? Are the people that usually um, hypnosis works best on? They're mm-hmm. they're highly suggestible. There's just something in their their brain chemistry. And, you know, so there's something like that going on, the satanic panic, whatever. Of course, they're going to, you know, it happened to me. It, it would explain X, Y, Z. So mm-hmm. it happened to me. And I, I remember now, but, you know, they wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to keep a constant story or a constant vision of it. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Actually, yeah, like they're like cognitive interviewing techniques would probably unravel that sort of thing as a false memory mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy it, it's weird how these like so like the satanic panic i feel like we're currently in like the next wave of satanic panic with 
groups like QAnon and they think that oh. there are satanic elites who are drinking the blood of children, in this case, to get adenochrome out of it. But adenochrome doesn't do shit. I'm just going to say, and you can synthesize it or you can get it from adults or animals, whatever. It's like they're, they're a whole scientific. And then again, you also have your highly suggestible people yeah. who are just like, that explains X, Y, Z. So it must be true. It's so frustrating. But it, want to know and explain things and they'll do anything. Those are those, mm-hmm. those kind of people who can't just accept there are some things that we don't that we understand the point, the right? Yeah, they're the people that tend to cling to that sort of stuff because they want to have everything explained. And guess what? There's so much in this world that you can't explain. Right. That right. You can't find an answer for, and you have to accept that, you know? Yeah. Um, there's nobody out there who has all the answers, and QAnon certainly fucking doesn't. QAnon's been right about anything. I, I am so pissed, though, that they um, they have such a, a foothold into the mainstream that they do. I mean, in the 80s and early 90s, there was definitely a foothold in the mainstream with the belief in satanic cults. But it's like we're back at the same place again where we're like a, a significant portion of the population is believing that there are these organized um, satanic. Uh, you know, usually they put the term satanic on there, but, you know, whatever. Kind People of belief in power. Yeah, satanic or elite globalists or whatever you want to call them who are literally killing children to drink their blood and to do these other things. And then, like, usually they're pedophiles, too. And it's like it's like that goes back to, like, the Jewish blood libel thing where they for like a a period in time, it was believed that Jewish people drank the blood of Christian children and uh, and like the belief in what witches supposedly did, you know, centuries ago that they believe witches would kill children and, you know, like make flying ointment from the baby fat or drink their blood or whatever. Uh, so it's like it's like, why have we not evolved more? Is hey, hey, no, and that's, yeah, that was really where I'm getting at is like we've evolved, but not enough, not nearly not enough, enough considering the length of time that starting with you know with the witch hunts how many hundreds of years have passed and here we are mm-hmm. and and it's only and the internet has only fueled it because it's so much easier to be anonymous it's so much easier mm-hmm. to you know find these little groups and you belong and that goes back to my sociology stuff but everybody wants for the most part unless you're a weirdo like me i never want to belong to a group I don't ever want to be classified. I, I don't want to be classified. I just mm-hmm. want to be me. Um, you know, there are things that I like, but they don't define me. But these people, they need an identity. And they need something yeah. to believe in. And so, and the internet, making it so easily accessible and easy to organize these groups and easy to get this crazy information. And, um, you know, QAnon, literally anonymous, okay? It's, they're anonymous because they're fucking wrong. I mean, all these, they, they keep moving the goalposts and nothing comes. It's the people right. like, okay, in 2012 when the world was supposed to end. Um, I guess I missed that part, but, uh, yeah, you know. Right. One thing I find fascinating with uh, QAnon, though, is that it, you get this, you get people from these surprisingly diverse backgrounds. Like, it attracts a certain number of, like, um, hardcore fundamentalist Christian people, um, and yeah, you know, like maybe they they're inclined to believe that there are satanic cults or whatever doing these terrible things. But on the other side, I, I've seen some kind of far left New Agey people converted to QAnon too, and it's like, yeah, what the hell? They're the people who are like, 
I don't, I don't want to treat everything with essential oils and crystals and, you know, like, I don't believe in vaccines. And it's like, well, then they get sucked into this because of the yeah. anti-component. It's, it's so weird. Well, um, you know, like with the whole Capitol insurrection uh, thing on January 6th, uh, earlier this year, that, that one guy, Jake Angeli, uh, who was in the news a lot for being the horned headdress guy in the Capitol. Yeah. Um, apparently he, he seemed like a very hardcore new ager and he was talking about being an incarnated alien and he had a podcast and talked about, you know, basically achieving ascension through, uh, mushrooms and other psychoactive substances. So it's like, and, you know, like he also complained in, in jail that, you know, he didn't have access to organic food and a judge let him have organic food. It's like, this is not the person you would picture becoming like a hardcore Trump supporter. No. Uh, but he he became like this very vocal QAnon person. And he, you know, but from a part of society you wouldn't think would resonate with that. So it's that horseshoe theory where it's like the extremes have like closed the loop eventually. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think it's good to be extreme. Like, okay, I I had posted probably, uh, it was, I think, in 2019, um, a post about uh, Donald Trump's remarks about the disabled. Mm-hmm. And I, I just said, I, and, and my one thing that I said was, I think about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, and this guy I went to high school with, and he was this hardcore Misfits fan and big mm-hmm. mohawk. And, you know, we bonded over punk because I love punk. I love the whole punk I, I I like the aesthetic, of course, but that's not really the whole yeah. I like that is punk is in your mind. It's not the music yeah. you listen to, it's not the way that you dress. And so I'm very in, in into that kind of thinking where it's sort of like I question authority. I mm-hmm. don't wanna do what everybody tells me to do. I wanna, you know, say fuck this and fuck that and I wanna do my own thing. And so he was very much like that, but he went on that and just went off about how Trump was Right now, I'm like the last person I would have ever suspected, you know, because wow. you were just so like free and punk, like you know, had that whole mindset like me, where it was just like I, I still like that, you know, I'm right. still like free and open to things, and I'll think about things, and you know, I don't do what everybody tells me to fucking do. I think about it, you know, like is this right for me? But you know, it's just sort of like a question authority. That's really what punk's mm-hmm. about. And mm-hmm. he, he immediately was just blindly into, but he was very extreme as well, like you said. Mm-hmm. And so not only that, but all my friends and family that were commenting on the post agreeing with me, he was trolling them. Then he was stalking their Facebook pages, ah! looking at pictures of their children or, or whatever, that, they, whatever he could get access to, and then blasting them. And I'm like, you are insane. I had yeah. to do a whole like reporting and blocking and everybody else had to do him do this whole reporting thing that he just went on this stalker craze was because we disagreed because yeah. he said that when he was trying to tell me about windmills causing cancer and i'm like um windmills don't cause cancer i don't know how to tell you this it's or you know i'm worried about the birds i'm like yeah if you're so worried about the birds and and fucking the environment then why are you backing somebody who's all about fossil fuels like fuck you Right. It's like, yeah, uh, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, windmills windmills could fuck up a certain number of birds whose, you know, migratory flight paths coincide with those wind farms. However, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to condemn wind farms, well, it's like, are you going to address the fact that 
climate change would harm a lot more birds than the ones who are killed in you know by wind farms birds can get killed and, and their flight patterns messed up but it was something like 2000 whatever but really cats kill 2.4 million birds a year cats yeah yeah right i've had i've had a cat when i, when I used to have indoor outdoors because they're mine are only indoors uh since I came of age, but when I was a kid, my kids, my cats were indoor, outdoor, and I can't tell you how many birds I had brought to me as a gift. <laughs> oh I yeah, I did not want yeah. that gift. Yeah. So yeah. we, so where are we attacking the cats? <laughs> right. I know in like some places they do like kill cats for harming birds, which like they, breaks my heart because I love cats so much. No, and, and, like, it's oh, in their oh, nature. Oh, they can't help it. Keep them inside. I know, like they're carnivores. They're gonna attack birds and rodents it's their nature yeah i had a cat that liked to kill rabbits and i was like no it was horrible but that's why in the house it's a really easily solvable problem keep your kids in the house because they're not like dogs they don't need to go out and exercise they just chill in the house my first cat was um he was someone else's cat in the neighborhood and then that person moved away and left him behind which is a shitty thing to do oh my god no this poor poor like tom cat um was fending for himself for like two years, just mooching food off of neighbors, sometimes literally stealing their groceries off the front porch. Like he oh would, uh, they left their bags of groceries there and they like left something soft like bread. He would eat the bread. Like he would drag the bread away and eat it. <laughs> Not That's even so horrible. I cannot, there, like, I don't know, man, there would be a special place in hell for people who did that I, to their animals. So, like one, when I was in the fourth grade, he showed up at like, my parents doorstep and would not leave and it's like he just like picked us and then you know he completely adopted us but like he was the only cat that we had that was indoor and outdoor because he was so used to being outside being outdoors yeah um eventually he was we did have him only be indoors because he caught fiv probably from fighting with another cat in the neighborhood but I, it was just so sad that his previous human left him behind and i'm like why why would you do that like this sweet baby like i don't know he was a great I just, cat i love animals so much i can't yeah like i donate to the aspca like i just i don't know man i'm just like all about animals so i just couldn't <laughs> imagine doing something like that but yeah i mean once i uh because my mom had indoor outdoor we were just that's just what she did but uh once i came of age and i had i got a kitten of course for graduation um, my own new kitten and uh, I moved out and then my mom got another cat because our cat that I'd had since that I, since childhood had, had died because he had lived a long long life he, yeah, he actually yeah. got shot we lived in the hood oh no and we had a, they had a bullet dug out of him he lived like until I was 17 that wow. was like when I was a child I'm um, amazed lived through that that's really yeah cool. he was tough but yeah, after that, we kept our cats in the house, even though we <laughs> moved on to nicer things and better, yeah. you know, more money and safer neighborhoods. But, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I was talking about cats. But, you know, speaking of that, that actually reminds me of something I was going to bring up. And it's kind of cats, funny, actually. Cats and goats are associated with witchcraft and Satanism. Exactly. And there's something, um, and it, I was made fun of as a child. My mom would wear, um, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So mm-hmm. picture day, every kid's worst fucking nightmare. Um, yeah. I have pictures of my mom would always buy me these dresses with the square collars. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. Okay, now see, I have, I can't, I, know, too. I have like all these moles and it runs in my family. Like if you look at my skin, and I always tell uh-huh. people this because they're like, you have such nice skin. I'm like, I have a skin disease. It's called um, 
BHD. And this is rare, and these are like little tumors. Like one, this one looks like a little witch's wart right here, but they have them cut and they have to be biopsied. They're all benign. But I get, we also get moles. And they're uh-huh. called witch's teats. Did you know that? And back in the day, if you had those, that was how you fed your familiar, supposedly. Right. Whether right. it was cat or a raven or whatever you was your familiar, you fed them from the witch's teats, like these moles I have right here. And so everybody would make fun of me for my moles when I was a kid. And I'm like, I don't, I, I was just born this way. And I, and as I get older, I develop more. And then I have to have these uh, tumors cut out all the time. But that's why people say I have nice skin. I'm like, I, I point out that I have a skin disease. Like, you know, like anybody, like be proud of who you are. I can't deal, you know. <laughs> it's a rare disease. It runs in my family. All the women in my family have these. Man, some of them cut out and biopsy. But anyway, so yeah, I have all the witch's teeth. I have so many. I could have so many familiars. <laughs> it was going to be my joke. It was, I was going to tell you about my witch's teeth. They're right up here, and they're all all these moles, and they're they're fine. They're non-cancerous. They're not weird. They're just there. I I think like if we were like back in that time period where they were like gonna strip us naked and look for moles or um, any skin irregularities that could be witches' teeth, we would all have something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or freckles or a skin tag or you know just some some irregular thing. It's like. It, they just made it stupidly easy for women to be convicted of this stuff. <laughs> it was just like fucking horseshit. Yeah, and, and, and that's why they, they made it easy, because yeah. they wanted to vilify them. Yeah, and I, just the things they blamed uh, witches for were, like, so weird, like... The crops failed. <laughs> yeah, their crops failed, like, the the, the livestock got sick and died. And so it was like the witch... The, the or an illness in the family, and somebody, even in somebody else's family in the village. Yeah, so I, I do like how this movie played into a whole lot of these beliefs of... Uh, uh, yeah, the crops did fail and rot, and, like, the goats yeah. bled, and then they, you know, died, and, like, all this crap happened to them. But it's like, if I had those kind of powers, that's not what I would be doing. What's the Uh, point? I mean, like the, the dancing naked in the woods looks pretty fun. I get it, but I I would probably do that. Like that. Yeah. I'd be like, Hey, let's uh, play the drums and dance naked. And you know, levitate like that. That looks into that. But just like harassing some Puritan family for the sake of harassing them. I don't see the point in it. I went, and, you know, and, and with the Puritans, you know, they were so devoutly religious. And, right. you know, when we, we got to go, of course, to original sin. Mm-hmm. You know, women are born guilty and they're born evil. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're at the lowly positions of the, of course, more superior and well-equipped man. Um, because I and that's that's one thing that really pisses me off, you know, especially being in Catholic Church um, oh, yeah. when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just, we're already fucking evil the minute that we're born. We're evil. And, and you know, and it's weird, um, you know, because you went to religious school. I went to Catholic school for a while. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put up with it very long. I think I did uh, maybe a year because mm-hmm. I was like, fuck this shit, I'm out. But, uh, like, I started my period then. I don't know. Oh, it was in junior high. It was in seventh grade. And uh, I wasn't prepared because I just wasn't expecting it. And so I bled through my pants and we had these uniforms and they had to be tucked in and you could see the blood. And the nuns said, no, you couldn't, you can't untuck your shirt. You can't change your clothes. You have to go around like that all day. And I was like, fuck you. Called my mom. And I said, mom, come pick me up. I'm sick or something. 
And I, you know, then when I told her, she was like, what the fuck? I was like, I don't know, man. But then again, this is the same school that it, it was the junior high of the school that kicked her out when she was pregnant with me at 17. Because yeah. when they when she started showing, they knew she was mm-hmm. pregnant and they kicked her out. Oh, my so gosh. I guess, guess what? She should have seen that coming. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you're going to bleed, you evil woman, um, everybody's going to have to look at it. You're going to get punished for that. I'm like, it's my first period. What do you want me to do? Roll that. Yeah, that's just awful. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, like, it, I, it's, I've, I've had, like, such a positive experience with, like, the Benedictine monks uh, close, close-ish to where I live. But then I, you know, like, when I hear stories like that, it's like, oh, my gosh. And even even currently, other parts of the Catholic Church, like, there was a Omaha priest who may be in trouble with the higher-ups in the church because he went to the January 6th pro-Trump protests oh, and no. performing exorcisms on uh, the Capitol building, not because of the people rioting and, um, you know, like doing violent things, but because of uh, the politicians inside, you know, not uh, not overturning the election. It's like, that's not how an exorcism is supposed to work. Actually, like, if you want to get an exorcism, it has to be approved. There's no process. Exactly. And they show a little bit of that in the exorcist, but, you, you know, you there's a process to it. Yeah, that, and that's, yeah, that's what one of the Catholic so many people. You can't just go and perform an exorcism. You're not allowed to do that. Like, yeah, like, he should be defrocked for that. Like, he did not um, Absolutely. get Absolutely, they're not, you're not do that. That's like seriously not allowed (laughs) and also i mean even if you're gonna like disobey that rule but it's like why would you not be trying to cast demons out of the people rioting and you know that's showing that's showing something that they that priests are supposed to have given up which is showing you know personal preference i mean when you become a priest when you become a nun you give all of your selfless you you have to be selfless to have that role yeah, so, definitely. Like, your own beliefs, it, as mm-hmm. far as anything besides God, mm-hmm. and and you know the the belief system of the church, everything else doesn't matter because you are not an individual anymore. You have given that up to serve God in the church. Mm-hmm. So that's like um, definitely should be defrocked. Like that's totally yeah. against all the how it should be. You know how at yeah. least how the rules oh. of the Catholic Church work. You know. Yeah. Yeah, in theory they do, and um, and it's just uh, it, it's interesting. So like uh, the city I live in has, I think, the most conservative and restrictive and repressive uh, diocese in the whole country. And oh, wow. they're, they're like extremely anti-woman. Like they don't even want um, women, you know, as like serving in altar boy type positions or altar girl positions. They like, they only want males doing that. They won't let girls. That's a little old school. And, you know, at least the Pope now is trying to be slightly more forward thinking. Yeah, exactly. In like a long time. Exactly. Slightly more forward thinking. But fascinatingly, so like, and also the interesting thing is like um, the, uh, the bishop uh, in charge of the Lincoln Diocese, Lincoln Area Diocese, he was like the first in centuries to excommunicate people. Oddly, one of the people he excommunicated was one of my friends because she did astrology readings, which is super lame. That is really strict, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they're historically, they're 
there have been a lot of astrologers in the Catholic Church, and they were like that was considered a science at one point in time. So yeah. it's like, uh, so I mean that that's painful. But it's interesting that like that diocese is next door to the Omaha area diocese, which is the most progressive in the country, as far as I know. Like they're lobbying for women priests, they're for LGBT rights and marriage. Which and, they should be, and that's what I'm talking about the forward thinking yeah. because we got some of that from the new pope, and you know mm-hmm. it's. And, and you get that with a lot of churches, and I've seen, um, you know, not that my brothers and I aren't particularly religious people, because mm-hmm. um, we had our own experiences, and none of us left with two. Like yeah. one of my brothers is Buddhist now. I mean, he lives in Japan, and whatever. But um, you know, uh, it, it's just. But when they came out as gay, um, I mean, God, I can't believe anyone was surprised by that. But. Right. They were. They waited till they graduated high school and they were 18, and then they came out, and we were like, finally, because um, <laughs> it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't a yeah. surprise. Saw coming for a while, right? And I mean, I just knew when we were playing dress up when we were kids, you know, wearing mom's heels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all wanted to feel pretty, so you know, my brother collected my little ponies, and my mom was cool with it. Like my mom's really open minded, so whatever. But my grandparents were like, not not really my grandfather. Um, my grandmother, she was, um, they're going to go to hell now because oh, no. they're gay. And I'm like, but there's so many, um, you know, I've met so much. I've, I've been so involved in the community for so long that um, a lot of them, they do believe in God and they want to worship and they want to feel welcome. Yeah, exactly. In the church, you know. Yeah, and so a lot of churches have adapted to that where, hey, we welcome everybody uh my my um mother and father-in-law are very religious and sometimes we do stuff with them and they're like yeah we're absolutely we want transgender we want everybody in here just mm-hmm. because it's all about worshiping god they're mm-hmm. i believe uh, they call it catholic light lutheran ah catholic yeah my, my mom was a uh, part of a lutheran church for a while and yeah they they were nicknamed catholic light and so they they have have the things where you can kneel but nobody ever kneels and i'm like that's weird to me because i'm used to kneeling in church you you walk in you kneel on the cross and then you go your season half the time in church you're kneeling on these little things that you know like oh my god you know but like you guys don't even kneel why do you have these (laughs) right (laughs) but yeah but i think they should welcome i mean it's just like we've got to be more progressive and um this movie yeah, and Jesus hung out with like prostitutes and you know sinners. Yeah, Jesus like, was. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus was like accepting to everybody. He just, you know, have the faith and be good to each other and and right. believe in God and you know and 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 so much of the community they do and they don't <sighs> feel like you know they should be kicked out or not welcome at at, at a place of worship because of who they're mm-hmm. having sex with, you know. Right, right. That's that's weird. That's stupid. And this day and age, that's just so stupid. But you got it. Homosexuality has been. I mean, like it was actually like so normal. Like when we talk, I'm talking about ancient times where they had their shit together a little bit more. Um, <laughs> it was normal to have a gay lover. <laughs> it was normal to be married and have a gay lover on the side. That was yeah. completely socially acceptable. That was actually the social norm of ancient mm. Greeks. You know, and yeah. now here we are all uptight and shit still. And I'm like, get over it. The dark ages fucked everything up. 
So, yeah, I think we still, yeah, another reason that movie is still relevant, like, as a culture, we still have such a Puritan heritage. Even for people who do not remotely identify as Christian, we still have that Protestant work ethic. We still have some of these Puritan ideas around sexuality. Yes. And interestingly, for my um, ancestors on my mom's side, um, like, I'm descendant of Puritans who were around like in, in the 1630s or 40s or something. So like mm-hmm. my ancestors in the Fairbanks line of the family built the oldest standing wood frame house in North America. It's in Dedham, Massachusetts. Wow. Historical site. You can go on tours there. Um, yeah, they were hardcore Puritans. And, like, many generations of that family lived there until, I think, the 1930s. So it's like centuries of people living in the same house. But uh, it, it was fascinating. I, I got to visit that house finally in uh, 2014 because I was going to Rock and Shock, and it was sort of close by. <laughs> Just, like, funny to, like, that's that's how I finally got to see it. But um, also cool because I got to meet some very distant relatives. So, Apparently there are Fairbanks scattered all over the globe and uh, the tour guide was a Fairbanks. So very distant cousin. And then uh, like three people, three other people on the tour were also related. We got our picture together and, but they wow. came to Spain. They had moved to Spain and then came back to the U S for vacation and wanted to go on a tour of the old house. That's, yeah, that's I wanted cool. to hang out with like distant cousins. I'd have to go to probably Ireland. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm from peasant stock of Ireland, um, but I'm adopted Italian, so that's why I'm just so loud, because between the Irish and the Italian, we all right. just yell at each other and, and talk really, really loud. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have to quiet one. like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that heritage, so like, you know, I'm always big on, you know, I'm interested in bloodlines, but as an adopted child, you know, who was not accepted into her adopted family, um, right. You know, it, it not completely accepted because mm-hmm. I wasn't blood. I, I place no value on blood anymore. Right, right. My children that- are adopted yes. by my husband. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, because I was raising them solo. I didn't want child support. I just didn't want I wanted out of the abusive situations. So I mm-hmm. never had the biological fathers involved. And then he adopted them. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I wanted them to be accepted as by, you know, as because they're still the grandchildren by law. You know, like, don't ever... I don't want my kids to go through what I went through um, because I wasn't blood Italian. Right, right. I kept the last name to be a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not my birth last name. But whatever. <laughs> That's why I never even changed it when I got married. That's my name. And you're stuck with the, me. You're stuck with me. Right. You not accept like- me, but that's my name. Anyway, so <laughs> off topic. So now let's... Uh, Sum this up. Uh, <laughs> oh, what time is it already? Oh, about nine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's so easy to lose track of time. It is some, like, yeah, you know, we, again, with this, it's like that we talked about so much, but it's still it, about the film. It relates and it's, back. It's, you know, it definitely, because the themes are still themes that are in use today, and to a lesser extent, but it's still out there. The, mm-hmm. the, the, victim um the victimizing of women yeah um the attributing um evils of the world to women mm-hmm. the punishing women for things that are not their fault you know i mm-hmm. i still 
that's still a thing. And also, you know, like it, it did that crossover into psychology and how it's that 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 was kind of a you know that barbaric psychology that we had for so long was kind of just a different kind of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Or, or or like the witch trials. Like we're just gonna punish you and probably kill you or you know maim you for life because you you didn't do what you were told to do. Right. You know, and that's really the thing is, you know, the liberation at the end of this is kind of refreshing. Yes, yes, I totally agree. And if I can make a quick book plug, that's <laughs> I did oh, yeah, I yeah. earlier and I didn't. So when I talked about sort of the eco-feminist uh, connection of, you know, like there's the untamed woods outside that property and they, you know, the father wants to conquer all of that, basically make nature his bitch. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, I, it kind of reminded me of this really great, sort, very poetic nonfiction book called Woman in Nature, The Roaring Inside Her by Susan Griffin. And okay. I, it may still be out of print. I don't know. Like, I got a used copy for a penny off of Amazon. There's and, a, a thing I just found called Thrift Books. That's where I found Pink Think because it's out of print. So right. I look on there. Right, yeah. And, and maybe it's back in print. I don't know. Um, but... But that's a phenomenal book. Like, a uh, part of the book is sort of it's written from the perspective of um, patriarchal society and that they want to control nature and uh, and in the process control women. So you have like that perspective, and it's very constricting. And then you have like other passages that are from the perspective of nature and women who are really integrated with nature, and it. At times, it feels like that book was written by someone of a different species. It's, it's a fascinating book. Um, I really love it. It's been a few years since I read it, but this movie kind of reminded me of that, that, that at the end, the, the main character returns to this sort of very primal, atavistic version of femininity and not the, the this very repressed, restricted version of femininity that's been forced down her throat her whole life by yeah, sort of the by, natural feminine that we already have instead of like what we're told to be that's yes. here's what's feminine mm-hmm. which is told to us by men um when i ran away from home uh 1994 i was 14 um i had some really interesting encounters and i was kind of like in a bubble nothing horrible happened to me and i was living on the streets in hollywood but there was this woman i met and she gave me this book and it was women who run with wolves that that's a classic. Yes. That stuck with me all these years, and it was like sort of so many things happened to me uh, in that experience that has stuck with me. And that book just randomly hand, handed to me mm-hmm. um, made such an impact on my life. Um, and I, I really like what that book has to say. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So there's some good reading out there. Definitely check out Francis Farmer's. Uh, Will there really be a tomorrow? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah. So definitely a lot of reading that you can do to further understand how, uh, you know, some of the themes in this film and how it relates together. Because this really is is a feminist film. I know the men on the show were a little upset that just you and I were doing this topic. But I really felt like uh, we couldn't have had this discussion with them. We would have had a good discussion. Yeah, definitely. You have been able to go into this. It might be interesting to do like a separate little like bonus thing with them or yeah a side yeah it same be with I spit on your how it would go with them mm-hmm. involved with us or maybe them talking on their own about it 
Right, yeah. Because I think they would start talking about cinematography and, you know, lighting and stuff like that. And and just, yeah. I don't think that they would have gotten into this femininity right. and, the you know, the 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 natural woman and, and just sort of how it goes mm-hmm. on through time. I don't think they would have gone this direction at all. Right. Because they probably are just confused. Like, I don't know. I know that they, they love the film. I'm glad that they do. Um, so yeah, we should we should um, we should talk to them about that. See yeah. what they say and, and put it together <laughs> with ours. I'd be interested in seeing like what what their perspective is. Like it, probably yeah, I think the conversation. Especially would... knowing that they enjoyed the film. Yeah, exactly. So, they, yeah, they... I'm like wondering what they got from it because for me yeah. it brings up all this feminist, you know, um, idealism and, and just history of of you know persecuted mm-hmm. women and you know how women were powerful than they weren't and. You know, different mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah, um, it'd also be fascinating if, if it turns out they come up with the same, a lot of the same insights we come you know, up. You so. know, I'm so curious. I'm, I'm gonna make this happen. <laughs> so yeah, curious right. now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's good. Um, so do you want me to go first on my rating? Sure. Um, it's not very original. Um, just because I, I was kind of speechless is hard, uh, but I did, I have to go 10 out of 10, um, 10 out of 10, witches in the woods. Um, I just thought this film, I, I mean, I guess I'll bring up the cinematography. It was shot with natural light, um, shot on special, uh, film stock, uh, they gave kind of like a warped view and, you know, made nature look a little bit more foreboding because it kind of elongated the trees and things like that. So it was, it, it was great for the atmosphere building and um, the characters were well realized and the themes were still relevant today. And it was just, I like how they, they did the dialogue and, and the costuming and just everything was really done right with this. And like mm-hmm. I said, I'm, I'm really happy with what this film did to horror it brought us things like uh, Ari Aster stuff, and and I know we've got more coming, and you know Shutter's got some awesome stuff, you know, because now people are like, oh, I can do this artistic vision. You can be do horror and be artistic and have something to say. So I'm so happy that this film did that. So it's just a great film for so many reasons, but definitely a ten out of ten for me. Yeah, uh, yeah, actually, same here. I, I'm gonna give it ten out of ten. Black Phillips. Yeah. Uh, I, I tend to be stingy with 10 out of 10 ratings, uh, but there have been a few times on this show when I've had to do it. And I think the love, Witch was another one where I did 10. Yeah. Out we, of 10. we gave the love, Witch a 10 out of 10 and it deserved uh, it. Yeah. Um, I feel like this movie is perfect. Um, it's slow burn, but I mean, I was never bored by it. Um, yeah. the, the depth of historical research that the director did, um, you know, was awesome. Um, I yeah, just from from the studies I did uh, in the university with um, Saints, Witches, and Mad Women, and other you know, other historical classes covering that general era and uh, covering witchcraft hysteria, it it seemed like very perfect, you know, well researched for that. Um, and like the the actors were phenomenal. Uh, I, I just have nothing bad to say about this movie. Yeah, it's hard to find something that that's wrong with it, you know. And it, it took all of you know, kind of those themes you were talking about from that time period, 
you know, of the the witch hysteria and witch hunting as a, and it condenses it down into one family and still be able to tell the tale of that and uh, gave us a, a great ending. I think I I like the ending. Mm-hmm. And I like too. I said on IMDb, it tends if you look through, there's there's either one out of ten or there's ten out of ten. There's not any right. in between. You either got it or you didn't. A lot of my favorite movies are are kind of like that too. Like uh, my friend Andrei Iskanov's film Philosophy of the Knife is like that. Like people love it or they really hate it, and that's like I have to see it still. Film. It's on my list. Very, it's very punishing. There, it's very torture heavy. But there's a lot of historical interviews that he he arranged, um, and he he actually made the film because of someone he could interview who was an eyewitness to stuff. But oh, wow. it, it is difficult to watch. But that's one of those. It's just one of those films that polarizes people. And uh, so I, I guess like any film that polarizes people, I'm kind of interested in. Like yeah, me too. They're giving it a perfect score, or you're giving it this absolute shit score. <laughs> and it's like so. It's like there's something to it. It's like it, it's definitely the people Strong. who hate it are really still reacting to it. They're not neutral toward it. They're not giving it five out of 10. Yeah. We're like, eh, it was okay, but it's not memorable. Yeah. I they, didn't see any reviews like that. Oh, Cause I was looking and looking and it was just like, either they literally fucking hate right. it or they love it so much. And that I, to me, it's more like they got it or they didn't get it. Or maybe yeah. there wasn't like their type of horror. They're like, well, this isn't, that was one of the most com- biggest complaints is, uh, it wasn't a horror film, and I absolutely think it's a horror film, because just because it wasn't like heavy on gore and you know it wasn't like Jason in the woods or something, it, that doesn't mean it's not a horror film. I think it's absolutely a horror film, and I I think it's one of those things where like the people who are giving it like the one out of ten or zero out of ten stars, it's like they are very they have like deep emotions about it. They weren't positive emotions, but it struck a chord with them. Yeah, I mean, it was it did something strong. Yeah, uh, and and I think that's going to roll over into our next topic. I still it will because that's also a, a, a I love it or hate it. And yeah, we'll definitely have to talk about the. I have a lot to say, and I'm probably going to uh, get a little personal with that one. Um, I, I have to tell my experience of when I first saw the film, which was interesting. Yes. And um, just my personal feelings and how they have changed, because mm-hmm. I think that's important about this film, because you have um, people who are split between it's a feminist film or it's a anti-feminist film. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's an interesting that's debate. debate. But, um, do we also want to discuss like any of the remakes or? Uh, I, sp- I, OK, well, let me explain this. Uh, this will kind of give you a clue. I didn't see any of them. Okay, so I have seen those. Like weirdly, the one I have not seen yet, and I own the the Blu-ray, and like this is crazy of me. So I am friends with Camille Keaton, uh, mm-hmm. in the original film, and she's in the the official sequel directed by the director of the original film. Uh, it was also her ex-husband, so there's an interesting dynamic there for sure. Wow. Uh, but she's back in that as I spit on your grave, deja vu. I, my dumb ass has not been able to watch this movie. And I've had this movie on my shelf for years now. And I like pass it by and I'm like, it's not the right time to watch it. Right. I think, I have I think like I'm that. afraid this will like ruin my, my positive feelings about the original film in some way. And it's like, it, it's dumb. I should just, 
realistically, nothing I watch could ruin my experience of the original because I've seen so many shitty remakes, like truly shitty remakes. Well, Rape Revenge is its own genre now. It is, it is, and I, I have seen the three, um, there was the I Spit on Your Grave remake, and then there was I Spit on Your Grave 2, which was a, a sequel in name only, it was a different character, it was a different story completely, and then yeah, the third one in the new, like, reboot series brings it back to the Jennifer Hill story in a, a different way, and it grew on me a little bit after I watched it a couple times, but it's, I still love the original film the best. So I don't know. See, I'm going to rewatch yeah. it for the fir- first time. And let's see, I, I, I'll have to tell the story about how I got to see it, but uh, yeah. I'll be seeing it for the first time since God, I didn't have any kids. Um, I was probably 19. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. So, and there was a reason that I hadn't watched any of the sequels or a reason I hadn't rewatched the film. And we will talk about that and we'll see right. uh, how it changed because I'm going to rewatch it. Right. I think I saw it for the first time at like 21 or 22, something like that. But it was really hard to get a copy because back when I was 19, it was still VHS and I worked at a video store. I yeah. just bust order it. And every time we get it, somebody would steal it. So I finally got my hands on it. And then I'll tell you that story because it, yeah, it definitely plays that. into the episode that we're going to record about that. So we'll yeah, leave on we'll, that note. We'll um, thank you so much for having this conversation. It was so wonderful, as it always is. So much fun. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to talking about I Spit on Your Grave and, and, and see, you know, my growth and my change and the things that <laughs> did change my opinions on the film. Right. And yeah, we'll talk about that that debate everyone has, whether right. it's feminist or whether it's not. Have you seen the Joe Bob Briggs commentary on it? I have not because I haven't rewatched it. it so on some DVD editions, he has a commentary track. So um, I, I have like the the elite entertainment edition that was from, I don't know, 2003 or so. Um, he has a commentary track on that. That's excellent. And oh, also, wow. yeah, I bet that would be great. The director has a commentary track. That's also excellent and explains like why he made the movie. Um, but yeah, the Joe Bob one is just brilliant really. So if you see get if I can track that down, that, because yeah. when I saw it, I saw it on VHS. <laughs> Yeah, if I can find, I don't know if that edition I have is still in in print, but I will send you a link if I find it. Okay, yeah. I can see if I can track it down somewhere. Creative, (laughs) because sometimes I was like, I have to have something that's out of print, and then find a way. Especially, it's usually books, but I've done it with movies. Mm, Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, that could be pre-internet when I found the VHS, but that was was hard work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> really, that was me you know playing with the system where i worked it's not like oh we needed a copy of this i'm gonna rent it before someone steals it why is it stolen so much why would you want to steal that movie that's true <laughs> but yeah um so thank you so much and um i spend your grave coming soon from us and uh yeah thank you this has been thank a great you. talk <laughs> You have a good night. You too. Love Love you. you.